Let's, let's take our Bibles. Let's open them to the book of Luke, please. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 20 today. And Pastor Danny already read verses 1 through 7. Um, so let me just pick it up in verse 8 and down to the end of verse 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to whom on, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. <clears throat> And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Wow, what a beautiful text of Scripture. You know, we've been in this little series called Christmas Chaos. And it's funny, you know, we came up with that title because those two things seem to go together. Have you noticed? Christmas and chaos. And uh, so we've, we've been walking this little journey, and today we kind of come to this, this very special part of the series, which is we realize that Christ actually comes into the chaos. God enters in. God actually takes the journey with us. God becomes man. And so today's a, a very special day. Now, we actually finish this series next week when we're going to look at really the ultimate of God removing all chaos. Next week, we're talking about heaven and the eternal state. And I can't wait to do that. It's going to be a beautiful time. That's next Sunday. <laughs> New Year's Day. Yay, all right. <laughs> what I want to tell you in this passage this morning, I think is so awesome. I see three things here that, that just touch my heart. Maybe they will for you too. I see in the first section, earlier we read verses 1 through 7, I see the providence of God working in this chaotic world. There's some stuff in those first seven verses that, that I'm going to show you is sort of a, a, a reminder to us that while some things look certain ways, there's actually another thing going on behind the scenes. And then we get to the next little section here, verses 8 through 14, and we're going to see God's purposes in Christ, and just a beautiful, we're going to get just rapid fire, we're going to see some beautiful things about Jesus in that passage, and then we're going to see what it means for us in terms of God's power in our lives, okay? So really quickly, first what I want you to see in verses uh, 1 through 7 is that in the chaos of our world, things are not always as they appear. You know, it, it, the world looks a certain way, doesn't it? Um, the first Few verse, the first few words in verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus. You know, Luke is setting the historical context for his reader. In those days, Caesar Augustus. Things are not always as they appear. 
what it appears to the reader is that there is a, there is a sovereign ruler of the world. But in reality, Luke is setting up the stage. The real sovereign is coming into earth. It looks like there's already a sovereign here, Caesar Augustus. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And when Caesar Augustus took the reign as emperor in Rome, he wanted to be known just as his father was, a god of the people. But even more so, Caesar Augustus was like the savior of the people. He wanted to be known as savior. And the reason for that is that he had saved the Romans from civil war. He was the one leader out of all the civil strife that was going on during all the transference from, from, uh, from Julius Caesar to his son, the adopted son. He was the only one that brought out of those bitter rivalries a peace. Historians call it the Pax Romana. Do you remember that, studying? That he established a peace that went throughout Rome. And everybody looked at Caesar Augustus, who used to be known as Octavius, as the savior of the people. And Luke is framing this to remind us, no, 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 no. <laughs> the savior of the world is not, is not Augustus. The savior of the world is the one who's coming that he's actually describing here in this passage. I know for some of us, sometimes we think about the way it appears that presidents and nations are the true rulers of the world, when in reality there's only one sovereign savior of the world. And we need that reminder, don't we? We need that reminder right here in December, January, we see a new president come in. I know there's a lot of angst and people are just kind of freaking out and what's going on in the world and what's going on in America and what's going on with the president. And we kind of look, our worldview kind of gets focused on the, the world in which we're living and we only see that part. But here's what God wants us to see. Things are not always as they appear. God is sovereign. He's working behind the scenes. And while it looks like there's one sovereign, no, nah, there's a sovereign that beats all sovereigns. And he's the one who's coming into the world. I love how Psalm 103, 19 puts it. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom reigns over all. There's the second thing I see that Luke brings out here, and that is that it appears that the emperor has initiated a political mandate <laughs> when in reality, God has initiated the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. It says, that Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the entire Roman world. The entire Roman world. Well, the first thing Augustus does is he says, I want to count all my possessions. Leaders of the world have always been good at that. Why? Well, this pride, how big is my kingdom? How many people can I call my servants? But there's something even more fundamental than that. It's monetary. <laughs> Money! Because <laughs> if I can identify you as belonging to me, I can tax you and make you pay me. It sounds awfully strange, doesn't it, that Caesar Augustus is calling a census on the entire Roman world? But in reality, you know what God's doing? <laughs> God's fulfilling biblical prophecy. 
Because 70 miles to the north, there's this little couple who's been living in a little area called Nazareth. And you remember that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. This is the area of the, of the Gentiles. This is that which the prophet Isaiah spoke about, that out of Galilee of the Gentiles, a light would come, a light shining in the darkness. And remember the prophecies of Micah chapter 5, out of you, Ephrathah, though you be least among the tribes of Judah, out of you will, become, will come a ruler who will rule over my people Israel. Micah 5.2. A prophecy of the coming of Messiah to this little town of Bethlehem. A census? Oh, Joseph and Mary, they had to go 70 miles. Biblical scholars don't know exactly when they took the trip. Was it in the ninth month? Was it right at the cusp of her birth? Maybe, maybe not. But they knew they had to get down to Bethlehem because that's where all their relatives would be gathering. They would come down and they would be seeing aunts and uncles and distant background relatives, probably people they had never met before. Have you ever been to one of those dinners? Maybe someday today some of you are going to be at one of those dinners. <laughs> oh, I've only heard of you. I didn't ever know you really existed. And now you are exactly what I thought you would be. You know, whatever. <laughs> they had to come 70 miles. And how did God bring that beautiful prophecy about? <laughs> Through Caesar sitting in his palace saying, I think I'm going to do a census. And I'm going to make everybody go back to their ancestral home. Things are not always as they appear. <laughs> and then I look at this. And by the way, just don't forget that when edicts and principles of government feel egregious and sometimes overreaching, God just may be working out his plan. Don't forget that. It also appears from verses 4 and 5 that nothing is special about this young pregnant couple making their way to their ancestral home, when in reality nothing could be farther from the truth. On the throngs of people that were making their way out of northern Israel down to their places of ancestral origin. On that long caravan, there was this little couple. How many people in that caravan really knew who they were, knew what they were about, knew what was going on? Oh, they're a pregnant couple. Isn't that great? And yet, we see who they were. Sometimes I think we feel insignificant in God's redemptive plan. If you have your Bible, just hold your place in Luke chapter 2, and can we just be blessed by looking at Ephesians chapter 1? Go over just to Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment. Sometimes we feel a little insignificant, and can I just remind all of us today that there's nobody that's insignificant when it comes to belonging to the king of the universe? Look at verses 11 through 14. In him... You were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's, 
of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. I'm reminded in simple passages like that that I'm not insignificant. God has placed over me His banner, and His banner over me is love. He has given me His Holy Spirit. He's adopted me as His child. He's predestined me to become like His Son, Jesus. And I'm a part of His amazing, eternal, sovereign plan. And all by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone feeling a little insignificant today, you can be reminded that like Mary and Joseph and a throng of people making their way down to Bethlehem, so today God sees you, God has His Spirit in you, and God is sending you into places of wonderful, amazing, life-changing ministry. If you'll just keep your eyes open. I see one last little thing here. It appears that God's chosen Messiah was relegated to peasant conditions due to the chaos of the season, when in reality, this is exactly the way God wanted him to make his entrance. Pastor Danny talked about the humble beginnings of being born and laid in a manger. And yes, there's great controversy around that. Luke uses the word for inn that doesn't describe like a hotel, like over earlier where the Samaritan had bandaged that man that had been beat up and took him to the inn, that is more like a, a hotel, a place where someone would take care of somebody else. Here it's more like a guest room. It's part of a house, perhaps. Was it that Mary and Joseph found their way to the tower of the flock? Maybe. Or maybe when they found their way to their ancestral home, the place was so packed with relatives that there was really no place for them really to stay. And so they were brought into that area known as the upper room, the place where sometimes animals had been brought in, but certainly not in this case. This would have truly been a violation of Mar Mary's purity rules. To have animals around? Oh, no, not at all. So there's some mystery to it, but I can't get away from the fact that this is the way God did it with His own Son, I mean, you would think with the palace of the king being just four to five miles north of Bethlehem that there would have been a much more suitable place for Jesus to be born, but not our king. Our king comes humbly. Our king comes without the pomp, without the ceremony. Now, maybe you've been on vacation. Maybe right now you're staying with relatives and, you know, you're sort of in leftover space. You know what that feeling's like? Maybe you've been on a vacation somewhere. I, I'll never forget, I was in, uh, we took a trip to Israel in 1982, and I was over there, we studied in Israel for about a month, and then we took buses, our tour group took buses down through uh, the Sinai Desert, and we were going to end up in Cairo. And so how cool that would be to take Greyhound buses, well, they weren't, I don't know what they're Greyhound, they were buses, tour buses, and actually travel down through uh, Cairo. And I thought it would be freeways and and all this. Well, you know, we were literally on these buses going through like dirt roads and sand washes, and it was just crazy. And then our bus broke down. And I'll never forget, our bus broke down at the base of Mount Sinai. And there was a Bedouin camp there. There were camels. This was like a scene out of a movie. 
And I remember our tour guide, Glenn Schaefer, saying, you know, everyone, I'm sorry this has happened, but we're going to spend the night. This, Bed- this Bedouin group has allowed us to stay in their tents. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I mean, it was, you know, oil lamps and smoky, weird, and wind-blowing sandstorms and camels in the... I thought, am I in a dream? What's going on here? And Mount Sinai in the background... And I could see this fire. No, I couldn't see this fire. (laughs) It was so bizarre. And I remember I was sleeping in this little place, and there was Bedouins coming, these shepherds, these these camel ranchers. I don't know what they were. And just really bizarre. I've spoken at camps where (laughs) I showed up, and they said, "Uh, you know, uh, sorry, we didn't really have a, a place, so you're going to stay out in the trailer that, you know, whatever. And I've stayed in the weirdest places, speaking places, just, we, you, you know how it is. And it's like God says, perfect, perfect, this is for you. It's, it's like God likes it when we find ourselves sort of in humble surroundings. I met with a young man this week. He was drafted to play professional baseball at 16 years of age. Goes to our church. He's telling me a story. Well, he passed up that opportunity because he wanted to get an education, so he took a full-ride scholarship to Stanford. He played ball there. Um, Coming out of Stanford, got a little beat up while he was in his senior year. Um, He was just an outstanding pitcher. He was hired on with the A's. Drafted with the A's, played a little bit there, and then was drafted to the Dodgers and went down there. <laughs> but AJ's story, an interesting story, he's telling me out there on the plaza this week. He says, you know, uh, I'm injured. I'm probably out. My whole life has been baseball. He called it chasing the ball. He goes, and I just want to do what God wants me to do. I've just been watching, you know, of late, the last season I was in, I'm in the locker room with all these baseball players, and I'm thinking, I'm caring more about where these guys are spiritually and where they are with the Lord than even what this game is about to be for me. He goes, I'm just trying to understand. Do you think God might be, you know, calling me into some kind of ministry thing or something? He goes, I'm just humbled. I go, that's perfect. Because God uses us when we recognize that he's allowing humble circumstances in our lives. Pray for AJ. God's doing a neat thing in his life. There's probably no greater place that you can be than when you realize God is creating humble circumstances in your life. And maybe right now you're in one of those situations and you're trying to fight your way out of it. I don't want to be in a humble situation. I want to be up on top. I want to be, you know. No. How did Jesus come into the world? He came humbly, born in a manger, laid in a manger. So those are the things I see that life is just not usually, or in the chaos of our world, things are not always as they appear. Which brings me to the second thing I see, verses 8 through 14, is that despite the chaos of our perceptions or our perceptions of it, there's amazing news to celebrate. Are you ready for this? That's amazing news. So the shepherds are out there, and this is great. You know, we, we see God's purpose coming out, this very quiet and tranquil entrance of our king. And then verses 8 through 14, pow! It's like this glorious 
amazing experience. The angels are filling up the heavens and the shepherds are freaking out and there's this baby that's been born and all of what this is about in verses 8 through 14 is that God is giving us good news and the good news is that God has sent His Son, Jesus. It's all about God sending His Son, Jesus. I want to walk you through this passage and show you why this is good news. Ready? It's good news because Jesus is the one true Savior of the world. Remember, not Augustus, Jesus. And why is he called the Savior here in verse 11? Because we need our sins forgiven. You know, this is the the biggest problem, I think, when it comes to understanding the gospel in our modern culture, is that everybody has reduced the gospel to something like, I need a better life, I want a better job, I want more fun, I want this. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we are dead in our transgressions and sins, and apart from getting forgiveness from the one whom alone can give us forgiveness, we'll be eternally separated from God. And the reason why the shepherds heard the good news, the reason why the angel said we bring good news is because a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Our sins can be forgiven. Secondly, it's good news because the long-awaited Messiah is finally here. Jesus is the Christ. It's interesting, the original language here, there's no articles before Savior, before Christ, or before Lord. It's just, who's come? Savior, Christ, Lord. We need a Savior because of our sins. He is the Christ. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the one that has finally come. Our waiting is over. And not only that, it's good news because Jesus is Lord. The preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts, He is Lord over all. Jesus Christ is Lord. The King has arrived. And not only that, it's good news because only Jesus can transform our chaos into charis. The Greek word for joy is charis. I was thinking, interesting, we've been talking about chaos, but Jesus came to bring us charis, joy. Is there any true joy? Is there any true peace apart from knowing Christ? No. And that's why this is good news. He came to bring true joy and true peace. And not only that, this is good news because Jesus is for everyone. Look at verse 8. Everyone, we bring good news of a great joy that shall be for all the people. Verse 10. All the people. Everyone. You know, there's people in all of our lives where we kind of think, ah, pretty unlikely they'll come to faith. Ever feel that way? Maybe family members. Ah, standing out there this morning talking to somebody about how they just wished that their family, their loved one would have come to one of our Christmas outreaches. It was so glorious this year. And they invited them and they said, yeah, I came six years ago. I don't need to come again. And this person was lamenting that. And I understand it because I feel the same way at times. It's so amazing what God's doing. Just get them here. Just get them here. And I was reminding this person as I was reminding myself, God has a time. It's not our time. It's His time. We can trust Him, can't we? We can trust Him. There's a guy at the gym, you know, I talk to him all the time and try to share with him a little bit here now and then, and and it's just interesting. 
I just feel like it's always such a brick wall. And I was studying this passage and I was thinking, and this news will be this great joy that will be for all the people. It's for him too. It's for that neighbor down the street that you can't get along with. It's for that person across the fence that you're always bickering with. It's that person in the cubicle that works near you that drives you absolutely crazy. It's that kid in your family that always seems to know just what buttons to push in your life. It's for that parent that's driving you absolutely crazy right now. It's for that spouse that you just don't seem to see eye to eye. The good news is for everyone. When you leave here today, don't forget, when you see those people, the good news is for them too. And so maybe part of the way they're going to see the good news is, are you ready for this? You'll be some good news. Just throw that in. Let's look at the transformation that comes as a result of all this. Verses 15 through 20. This is really simple. But you know, the shepherds, they act on what they heard, didn't they? The shepherds take off to see what's been told them about. I call this faith. They, they went on faith. They said, let's go. Let's go see this. What is God calling you to do this year? Where do you need to demonstrate faith? And then, I love the fact that they encounter Jesus. They come, they see this Christ. They find this baby that's wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying there in a manger. They find Christ. They encounter Christ. I call this relationship. That's what Jesus wants every one of us to experience with him. He doesn't want us just to see where he is or know who he is, he wants us to experience his life. Maybe someone's here today and you've never experienced a relationship with the living God. Today it can start. He's here, he's waiting for you. He's made a way. You've come this morning, perhaps you've been introduced to him for the first time or maybe in a way you never have before. And then lastly, I love in verse 17 that they spread the word as they went out. We could call this testifying. We could call this ministry. You know, they went and they told others about it. You know, we've got the opportunity in this Christmas chaos season to tell others of what Christ is doing in our lives. And as we go through 2017, which is about to begin, we have the opportunity to take the message of the gospel everywhere we go. How about it, believers? Aren't you glad you belong to him? Because he's about to send us out again, again, today. In all the chaos of the season, things are not always as they appear. But there's one thing for sure. Within that chaos, there's some really good news. And that news, Jesus can transform our lives. Amen? Amen? Let's go to the Lord.